the Holy Spirit, that the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to purify. The role of the Holy Spirit is to purify. And I'm going to give you some texts that we'll look at together here in a few moments. Um, but before I do that, I just want to say a few things. And I would begin by saying that probably most of us have some basic understanding as to what that means when I say the word purify. But I would say this, as with any truth of our faith that we engage in continually and over a long period of time, I think that we have to be careful, and there's a little bit of a warning here as we begin, um, as to not become so familiar without having truly sought to understand and to apply that truth, whatever it might be in the moment, to our lives. And I've said this before, but I think this is always something, especially for us here within Western evangelicalism, where there's so much that's written, there's so much that is streamed, there's so much that's spoken that we're exposed to, things that people record, blog posts, etc., etc., etc. There's such just an, a constant inundation, if, if, at least if we're wanting it to be so. Um, so many resources that we can go to for opinions and perspectives, and I'm not saying that they're bad, but my point is just to say that we are responsible for all that we take in. The Lord will hold us responsible for the truth that we have heard and that we have received. And so I think it, it's, it's up to us to ensure that in all of these things, are we being diligent to truly understand, to truly pursue understanding, to pursue application, and to walk in them. So I just want to encourage us in that. Because in something like this today, as we're going to go through <clears throat> this truth that the Holy Spirit purifies, there's a lot of things that we will have heard before, that we have taught before, but it doesn't mean that we just sh shut them off and say, well, I've heard that, I know that, um, I've got a good basic understanding of that, but let's allow the Holy Spirit, again, to speak to us today, to encourage us, and to direct us in things of such significance and importance. And so I just want to say, stay tuned in, all right? Stay tuned in with me this morning. So when something is purified... It's made clean. Impurities are removed from the system which it's been infected. That which was once defiled has now been made clean as the impurities are removed. And the power of those impurities that it had to keep the system defiled have also been removed. So within something, if something is impure, there's something that has defiled it. But to purify something means to remove the defilements and thus remove the power of the defilements, that's an important aspect, and restore health and wellness just in general to a system. But beyond this one-time moment as well of purification, there is also an ongoing process that takes place. If any of you have had some type of water filtration system within your home, you know that somebody doesn't come out and just one time filter your water. No, you put a filtration either on the entire house or on different particular fixtures in your home so that every time you turn on the water, that water is purified. So there's an ongoing process of purification that takes place. And there are measures that are taken to keep that which was initially made clean continually so. And in addition, the more purification that takes place, this is a mind-blowing concept, the more pure it becomes. But think about that for a moment. And obviously, you're starting to make the correlation, of course, as to the Christian life. 
But that's, of course, going to be the thrust for the entire morning. But think of that truth. The more that purification happens, the more pure that thing, system, becomes. So therefore, it would be accurate to say that purification happens both initially as well as continually and also increasingly. Purification happens initially, continually, and increasingly. So let's look at five texts this morning. I'll put them up here on the monitors for you all, but you can follow along if you'd like to turn to them or just jot them down. The first is going to be this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. be reading starting in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11 and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. As I read these today, as we read the next four, I want you guys to be listening to the language as I spoke of that it is initial, continual, and progressive. So be listening for the language and be looking for that within these texts. The next one is this, it's Titus. Chapter 3, Titus comes right after Timothy. This is a good exercise for us. Keep us familiar with our Bibles. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now let's go back, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3. Beginning in verse 17, I love this portion of 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory. Excuse me, let me reread that. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, it's the Spirit who purifies. Turn with me to Romans, two more. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. One verse, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Initially, continually, and increasingly. And last one, just to give us a little 
finger calisthenic. Back to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 7 this time. Verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Five different verses speaking of similar content, but with different emphases in each one, more or less. Within these passages, we're presented with three different aspects of purification. There are this. Firstly, that purification is a work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life at the moment of conversion. He says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by the Spirit of God. So firstly, we see that the purification of the Holy Spirit comes initially at sanctification. Excuse me, at justification. Secondly is this, that it is a continual process over the entire course of our life by the Spirit of God. That was the 2 Corinthians 3 text. We are being transformed into the same image. So it's a continual process, this purification. And lastly, what we saw is this, that we participate along with the Holy Spirit in the ongoing process of purification in our Christian lives when we read this, let us then cleanse ourselves of, from every defilement. So three different things. Purification happens initially at the moment of conversion. Purification is a continual process over the course of the Christian life. And purification is a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit throughout that Christian life in pursuit of it increasing more and more. So my question first to us today is this. Where have we perhaps stopped short of God's will in one or multiple of these things? Have we, perhaps? That's a good question to ask yourself. Again, coming back to this idea of like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, but are you living it out? Is that truth bearing fruit in your life? Because we can see very clearly from this that at least a couple of these, if not all, a case can be made that they will bear evidence and bear fruit in our life if they have, in fact, taken root. So have we merely settled on one or perhaps two of these at the loss of not fully knowing and therefore really living out fully this truth for our own benefit and the glory of God, which is always the end goal of the Christian life, is it not? And they are benefits, aren't they? It's not just merely a effect of something having taken place. There are great benefits of which we revel within and we, we are thankful and joyous within each and every day that the Lord God has lavished upon us that we return praise and glory into His name for this amazing truth that is presented here before us today. So what I want to do today is taking from the previous text, those five that I gave you, I want to look at this what are these benefits? What is the truth here that the purification of the Holy Spirit, that the purification of the Holy Spirit gives to us today? And there's three things that I want to point out. They're this: that purification first gives us freedom from the defilement of sin. Purification gives us freedom from the defilement of sin. Secondly, that 
Purification gives us freedom from the guilt of sin. Freedom from defilement of sin and freedom from the guilt of sin are two different things. And lastly, the purification of the Holy Spirit gives us devotion to a new purpose. So I want to look at each one of these today. And let me just say this. I think this is important that we hear this. I think it's important that we remind ourselves of this today. It doesn't matter how far along each one of us are in our faith journey. We all need a reminder of this truth that we have been set free from sin, that we're free from the guilt of sin, and that we have been set apart to a new purpose of God. And to remind ourselves of that daily probably wouldn't be a bad thing either. Now let me just say this, if you are not of the faith here this morning, there might be some point of contention as to the, the nature of sin itself. But for those of us who are in faith, I would say this, this rings loud and true. And not only should it resonate within our hearts, but it should resound so much that it has our greatest praise and approval and efforts to see it bear fruit in our life. So I want to look at each one of these individually. And we'll begin with this, the first one, that purification of the Holy Spirit gives freedom from the defilement of sin. And I'm going to use the text that we looked at today. There's a lot of text that can be studied and considered and read this morning on these. But we'll use the ones more or less that I presented to you this morning. So he says this again, that you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in 1 Corinthians 6.11 in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I'm not sure if there aren't two more important words aside from perhaps grace in the Christian language and understanding than the word justification and sanctification. Two profoundly significant concepts and truths that lie at the foundation of everything that you believe that your life has been built on today. So I don't think, again, that we can overstate the significance of consideration and understanding. He begins by saying that you were washed. Here we as sinners. Here we as those outside of the faith. Here we as those who were seen as unholy, unrighteous before a just God. We were washed. We were polluted. We were defiled by the filth of our sins. Before a holy God, we stood unholy. But having obtained the remission of our sins through faith, which is purification, our sins are put out of God's sight and we are therefore cleansed from them in the sight of God and their eternal effect. That's what it means that you've been washed. That's the picture here that Paul is wanting to give. That's the picture that's in the act of baptism. That's why baptism is important because it, it signifies this very thing. It's a public profession of the going under and the coming up and this picturing of the washing and the cleansing of sin in the profession of our faith. So what happens in this washing? You were sanctified, you were justified. I want to look at justification first. In being justified, we are declared as righteous. Not just seen as such. We are declared as such. This is so because God's perfect righteousness becomes our own through faith. If you don't understand that, write it down and study that concept in and of itself, that truth. That through God's perfect righteousness, through faith, we are declared to be righteous. 
Through faith we're counted as being in Christ Jesus. And all that was true of His work in and through the cross is now true of us. He became for us sin in His death as well as wisdom. And He became righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's 1 Corinthians 1.30. Justification declares us as not guilty before God who is the righteous and just judge. Justification declares us as not guilty. Not guilty of what? Not guilty for our sin. Not guilty of the payment that sin would cost and require. And through faith, the work of justification is made perfect in this life. Listen to this. It's not something that we have to work towards or something that increases. Justification is fully realized now in this life. All of its, ex- of its effects are experienced now and can be experienced fully in this life. You are not guilty. You are righteous. You are not guilty. You are righteous. Say that to yourself this morning. I am not guilty. I am righteous. So the two things in this washing that Paul shows us in 1 Corinthians 6, the first is that we are justified, the second is that we are sanctified. And let me say this, sanctification again is both then as well as now. In the beginning, this is the initial break with the love of sin. This is the initial break with the power of sin and the practice of sin that takes place through regeneration. That's what sanctification at that moment of conversion happened. That's the effect that it had upon your life. The love of sin was broken. The power of sin was broken. Through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, sin's payment was made in full for all who would believe. Through faith in that death, our heart of stone is made into a malleable heart of flesh that can be conformed and transformed into His image now before God. We are declared to be holy before God through Jesus Christ. And His triumph over sin is attributed to us. I'm saying so much. Much of it you know. But listen to what is being said and grab a hold of it this morning again. By this then, sin no longer holds dominion over us. For where sin remains, grace abounds to overcome in our lives. Or as Paul would say in Romans 6, that we are now dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. No longer slaves to sin, and Paul will develop this thought even further, that we're not enslaved to sin because the power of sin has been broken. But then Paul actually takes it a step further and says, but you are in fact slaves unto righteousness. So that's not this middle ground where God sets us free and then we wander in hopes that we do the right thing and act the right way. No, then he actually says that we're compelled by the grace of God to do what is righteous, by the Spirit of God that is within us. Now, do we always do what is right? Of course we do not. Because unlike justification, sanctification is not fully realized in this life. It's not completed. It's completed when either he returns or we go to be with him. So it's a process. 
And now that we've been set free from sin, we have become slaves of God. And Romans 6.22 says this, that the fruit that we get from this truth of being a slave to God leads to sanctification by the Holy Spirit. Are you guys following with me this morning? Okay, so good. Thank you. So then sanctification, that being initial, sanctification now is the ongoing work in the Christian life of becoming more Christ-like, and we know this. And as I said, unlike justification, it's not one time fully realized. It is one time in terms of its effect at conversion, but again, it has double implication for our life in that it is continual and again increasing. It's progressive, you might say. The goal of sanctification, listen to this, is to make us more holy in the conduct of our life. That is the goal of sanctification, to make you more holy. And again, let me remind you, in case that stirs within you this sense of, oh my gosh, how am I going to make this work? That it is the fruit of that sanctification process that was at work in you at conversion by the Holy Spirit, that the fruit of that leads to sanctification increasingly and ongoingly. It's been given to you is my point. You have what you need by the grace of God, by the kindness of God, and in the will and plan of God to not only just make it through this life, but to be transformed and to become more like Him each and every day. We could sit and praise the Lord Jesus Christ for that true fact for hours on end. And you know what? Someday we probably will as we stand before Him and worship Him in the totality of all of this is fully realized in our hearts. So the goal of sanctification is to make us more holy in the conduct of our life. And I would say this, this shouldn't come so much as a surprise to us because it's by very definition a part of the Holy Spirit's person. He is the Spirit who is holy, who reveals the holy God, and who in turn makes things holy. He's the Holy Spirit. That's what He does. He makes things holy. So therefore, we should expect then, when we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit, or when we gather here collectively and we ask the Holy Spirit to speak, or when we individually with our spouses, we pray for guidance by the Holy Spirit, we should then expect that the end result in some way will be a conformity of holiness in our own life. Whether it's collectively as a faith community here or within us individually, let's expect that. I think sometimes we forget this fact. He is the Holy Spirit who makes things holy. So if you're going to pray to Him, expect to be confronted with His holiness and to be called to conform yourself into holiness as well. And this really is the pattern that we see in that 2 Corinthians 3.18 text that we are to be conformed into the pattern, not of this world, but transformed into the likeness of Christ Jesus. And this effort and the power that's necessary to do this comes from God Himself, because it says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. So 
The implication here is that transformation and conformity into Christ's likeness comes as we behold His glory. As we behold His glory. As we're on our knees in prayer beholding His glory. As we're talking to each other and telling each other of the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ and reminding each other and stirring and inciting that awe that Rick spoke of and that wonder that we sung of this morning. We are being transformed little bit by little bit by little bit. And it might not even seem noticeable in the beginning. But of course, you know, as we look back, we go, wow, how far His grace has brought me in this life, right? Some excitement happening over here, huh? The kids are on the roof this morning. We're not going to worry about it, though. They've got, they've got good teachers, right? Um, I came across this, and, and I'm a vi- I, you guys know this about me by now, I'm visual, so I just thought I would kind of present this to you this morning. Here's a picture of what this is, this process of sanctification in our life. Here we have the Christian life, again, where Romans is so beautifully tells us and describes to us without question that we were slaves to sin. Paul has such a way with words, doesn't he? But there is the moment of conversion. And then from the moment of conversion until death, and I suppose you could interject Christ's return, whichever comes first, the process is growing in holiness of the Christian life. And it ought to be increasing. And sometimes we flatline, and that's okay for a minute. Because we're sinful and that's going to happen. But this ought to be the aim and the goal of our life. And I don't care if you are 10 or if you are 110. This is the process that ought to be taking place. And when you're 10, we're the ones who help you grow in holiness, right? We're the ones who help you grow in holiness and in righteousness. See, if you're listening to the streaming, you just hear my encouraging words. That's all you hear, growing in holiness and righteousness. (laughs) But as we get older, we're the ones who are responsible for our growth in holiness and righteousness. That's right. And then there's God. And it's not so much of this. It's, It's probably more of this and sometimes a little bit of this and one of those. (laughs) so what was that one that's the first one let's move quickly all of that is to say that the, the Holy Spirit the purification of the Holy Spirit frees us from the defilement of sin the second one is that the purification of the Holy Spirit gives us the freedom from the guilt of sin Freedom from the guilt of sin. 2 Corinthians 3, again, verses 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, we began by reading. And we love this text, don't we? And we sing songs about it. And sometimes I don't think we actually fully realize what we're singing. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we would say this, well, freedom from what, Paul? Freedom from sin? Yes, absolutely. But freedom from what else? Freedom from the power of sin? Freedom from the guilt of sin? Freedom from the shame of sin? Freedom from the condemnation that sin brings to our hearts and to our minds. You guys, we're free from that today. Now, do not be mistaken. If you are giving yourself to a pattern of sin over and over again, you're not free from the Holy Spirit 
prodding you and poking you and commanding you to leave that sin and to give that sin up. That's not the same thing that I'm talking about. You're not free from the conscience that you have. You're not free from the Holy Spirit who works within us. But we're free from the self-condemning, the sense of worthlessness that comes, the sense of wanting to beat ourselves up because we keep doing the same thing over and over again in spite of the fact that four years ago we said we were going to stop doing that and we turned over four leaves on January 1st and it never happened. But that doesn't matter, you guys. Because the truth of the matter is, is that by the Spirit of God, He has given us freedom from sin and freedom from the guilt that sin brings in our life. And this is all of, this is, this is really Paul's beginning of Romans 8, right? We know this text really well as well. That there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No condemnation means no death sentence any longer for us. The death sentence has been lifted. We're like, we're like the, uh, the, the, the person who's been in prison for 10 years who was wrongfully accused, who suddenly has been set free. There's no more condemnation for what was initially declared over us. We get to walk free from that. And, and we do this, right? You just do this to it. You brush it off. You go, nah, there's nothing left of that anymore. Because it wasn't true. It is not true of who I am. See, I would say the great deceiver, you guys, would have you believe that present sin within our life is not only binding, but it's condemning as well. That is what the enemy wants us to believe. There's no way out of it. There's no way free from it. Again, you've done the same thing over and over again for the last five years, maybe 15, maybe 25. Despite your best attempts, it's hopeless. You're going to have to live with it. You're going to have to hide it. You're going to have to stuff it. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. And the enemy wants to remind you constantly, yeah, but you did this. I know you've been trying really hard the last six months, but don't forget the last six years where you did this, where you just kept doing this. You guys, today, remind yourself, no, I'm free from the power of sin. I'm free from the guilt of sin because the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, has cleansed me, made me pure, brought me into right standing, called me righteous, called me holy, called me loved, has called me worthy, has called me lovely, has called me worth the praise and the affection and the care of our Father, has called us worth the praise and the provision of our Father. And all of the things that we feel that makes our hearts warm and wants us to praise Him, those are a result of the fact that you are not guilty before the Lord Jesus Christ. Remind yourself of that today. It's the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who testifies as to this truth that the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's Romans 8.2. That's the verse that precedes there's no condemnation. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So that the justification that we've received by faith leads to peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5.1. We now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace in a judicial sense, but also peace as in a present reality of harmony 
joy, enjoyment, both of him to us and us to him. That's peace with God, you guys, that you've received. If you feel unsettled and not at peace today, there is peace that is available to you. The peace that you most desire in your heart. When you are honest with yourself, that peace that you so seek and want is available through the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith. I want to give time to respond to this, so I want to try to move quickly through what I have. We're still, I'm on the second point here that we have freedom from the guilt of sin. Let me just say this. I've used this illustration before. But because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, when God the Father looks at you, He sees His Son Jesus. He doesn't see you in your unworthiness and in your filth and sin, but He sees Jesus. Come here, Noah, for a second. This will be appropriate. All right, stand like this. So here we are in our sinfulness, right? Just sinfulness. Stop, just joking. Yeah. So now, this is the cross of Jesus Christ, right? So when God the Father looks at us, this is what He sees. He doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have. Thanks, man. And you're not full of sinfulness. Just a little bit of sinfulness. That's, that, you guys, that's a powerful truth of what the cross has done for us. Because I think so often what we do is we see the sinfulness. Because that's our perspective. But the point of this is to remind us, like, this is how we remind ourselves. These are the things that we preach to our own souls and to our own hearts day after day. And when we sin, we say, no, you know what? In spite of the fact that right now I want to condemn myself and I want to remind myself how unworthy I am, which actually sometimes even inhibits us from going to the Father in forgiveness, right? Where we just go, man, he's not going to want to hear me ask for forgiveness for the same thing again. But when we're a parent and we have a child... And we expect the child to do the same thing over and over again in sinfulness, don't we? And what do we do each time we're there with loving arms to restore them, to, re, to, to give to them and extend the forgiveness that they're asking? It's no different the Father that, with us, you guys, in spite of the fact. And so we remind ourselves of this each day, that we are free from these things through the grace of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. The things that we want so desperately before having come to faith. The deep chasm that we felt within our hearts and filled by God's grace and loving kindness through His Son, Jesus Christ. Are we eternally thankful for that, you guys? Can I get a whistle? Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Lastly is this. The purification that the Holy Spirit brings in our life, gives devotion to a new purpose. Romans 12.1, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The New Living Translation, he says it this way, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Listen, he's speaking of a literal body. 
He's not speaking metaphorically of just your heart's desires. Literally, the word that is used there in the Greek is the word soma, speaking of the physical body. Present your bodies as instruments of righteousness. Present your bodies no longer as instruments of sin, but present them as righteousness unto God because of what He has done. This is the logical conclusion to the fact that you've been freed from the defilement of sin and that you've been freed from the guilt of sin, and therefore you can't but help devote yourself to something new in God of what He has purposed for you for. In the Old Testament, everything that was to be used in the service of God had to be designated, set apart, and prepared for its usage. Especially when we think of the the, the items that were used within the temple in the Old Testament. This work was called consecration. We've heard this word before. If you've been in the faith, you've probably heard it. Consecration is to declare something or to make it sacred, to devote something irrevocably to the worship of God. That's what consecration is. So every vessel in the tabernacle, every item of furniture from the smallest to the greatest, the priests, their clothing, even the temple itself, the building, they were all consecrated, set apart, holy unto God, irrevocably for His worship. And they were called, listen to this, this is the point, they were called to be used in no other service but the worship that they had been set apart for. The setting apart, of course, is, for, is the foreshadowing that sanctification would have as a result of the toning work of Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 9, we know this text well. In verses 13, he says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? But even then in the Old Testament, though the consecration was initiated by God, it was maintained by efforts and obediences of the priests themselves who were called to keep themselves consecrated as well. Even though they had been called, even though they had been cleansed through ceremonial washings and their, and their obedient acts were righteous in the sight of God, they still had to maintain their purity in consecration. This is too the case with us today. They could defile themselves by the acts they gave themselves to. So too can we defile these consecrated vessels. But to the praise and the glorious grace, we now live on this side of the cross. And because we live on this side of the cross, the consecration was made by God Himself. These vessels, through our conversion, at our conversion, were set apart. We were washed, we were cleansed, we were made pure, and we were called sacred, devoted to the purposes of God, to the worship of God, and to no other use. And so it was an act of God Himself who has consecrated us. Therefore, even though we can still, because we do play a part, even though we can still defile these vessels, we cannot defile them to the point where God would say, you are of no longer any use. We thank God for that.
As Christians, we are made holy through Jesus Christ. We are cleansed, we're purified, we're sanctified at regeneration. And so we too, like the priests, must keep ourselves in service unto Him. We come to the praise of God's glorious grace this morning. We come not to a temple like the priests did, built with human hands, but we come to Jesus the Christ. We come to the new and the living way. We come to the mediator of a new covenant with God. We come by His blood who's poured out upon the altar that was the cross, which was perfect and pure and fully effective for the redemption of our lives from sin. So listen to this. When we're faced with the choice of sin, you guys, because it is a choice so often, is it not? When we're faced with the choice of sin, remind yourselves of these things, that you are dead to sin and that you are alive to Christ. That sin doesn't hold you, but instead that righteousness does. This is the part that's irrevocable in Christ Jesus. We are dead to sin through Christ and we are alive to Him. We've talked a lot recently about being a distinct people, being consecrated, set apart, right, for the purposes of God. But I think we need to remind ourselves, too, that it isn't so much what we are called from as much as it is what we are called to. Let's remember that. It's not about what we're not, but it's about who we are. It's about who we are today. It's about who you are. Remind yourself of who you are. Suddenly, the difference is so subtle, isn't it? One has its focus set here. The other one has its focus set up here. So if you're struggling, set your focus here. Kevin brought the, that admonition last week as we gathered in worship. Paul's whole uh, encouragement to the Colossian church to set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. So I would say, in light of these things this morning, the words of Paul ring true and a little bit louder that we are to forget what lies behind in light of this. In light of this great work that was done, forget the things that lie behind you. Forget your former self, forget your past, forget your old identity because you're new in Christ Jesus today. Forget those things that lie behind, Paul says. And he, what does he do? He says, I strain forward. I press on with all that I have in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we know that God preserves all those whom he has called to faith. Yet at the same time, we also know that we contribute to our perseverance and our sanctification. We hold on to our faith. We strive to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, the only reason, the only reason that we hold on to Christ at all is because of the Holy Spirit's sovereign work in our hearts. That's the only reason that you continue today is because the Holy Spirit is at work within you. He frees us. He keeps us. He helps us until the day when He lifts us up. Let us press on to make that our own by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Can we say in agreement, amen.